You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Those words were penned by Bob Dylan, 1979, for his album Slow Train Coming. It won him a Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Male in 1980. In response, John Lennon wrote a song titled, Serve Yourself, which is full of lyrics that I would refuse to read from a pulpit or anywhere. Which of our pop philosophers was right? Was it Dylan who said, you will either serve the devil or you will serve the Lord? Or was it Lennon who said, no, just serve yourself? Well, let's bring this into Bible or biblical language here. The Bible teaches us that we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. And so today we're going to look just at the opening words to the letter of James, the epistle of James. We're going to be looking really just at one word, one word in the first verse, and the word is, the Greek word is doulos. I want you to remember that word, doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. Now, I assure you, um, Lord willing, we will soon return to the gospel according to John, but I believe that understanding this one word um, is important enough for us to spend a little bit of time on this morning. God, in his sovereignty, orchestrated it. He knew before the beginning of time that Ben was going to be sick today and that the sermon I had prepared would not be preached this morning. And so this is all God's sovereignty speaking here. Um, And in his sovereignty, I believe that he wants us to be reminded of what it means to be a doulos for Jesus Christ. This is one of those, one of the most frequently used words to describe a follower of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, doulos. The other most prominent label or term to describe a follower of Jesus Christ is the word disciple. Other names for these followers of Jesus throughout the New Testament are Christian, which we are very familiar with, but it's only used, I think, three times in the New Testament. Another is believer, saint is used often, brother, follower of the way, friend is used a couple of times. Recently, um, there's been a movement away from using these biblical titles and for Christians, believers, followers of the way, to really just start calling themselves Christ followers. Christian has sometimes, uh, in the view of some, become a a political term or a um, uh, polemical term. But the most common phrase in the New Testament that is used to refer to followers of Jesus Christ is doulos. So let's read James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, and we really are only going to focus on the very first verse. But I want us to hear what he has to say. So James 1, 1 through 18 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers uh, the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that, um, well, I pray that I would decrease and Christ would increase. That we would make much of Christ this morning in our own hearts and minds. That we would worship him as we identify as his slaves. Father, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice that probably all of your Bibles and mine have the word servant written there in verse 1. There's a few versions that use a different word, but most of them use the word servant. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word there in Greek is that word doulos, slave. Now, in the Greek New Testament, uh, there are four or five different words that can be translated to the word servant, but that word there is really not one of them. Um, One of these words is the word diakonos, that's where we get our English word for deacon. The deacon is a a servant or a minister in the church, Um, but he's not a slave of the church. I need to be clear about that. He's a servant of the church, but he's not a slave. Technically, deacons uh, in Acts chapter 6, they were to assist the elders in the work of the ministry, which sometimes the word is actually translated minister for deacon. A deacon is a servant in the church and a slave of Christ. A doulos in the world of the Old Testament was undeniably a slave. Why don't they translate the word doulos, slave? It's actually Several times, we'll get to this in a moment, but several letters are written this way where the author identifies himself as a a doulos, a slave. So why don't they translate it that way? Um, I found this quote by John MacArthur speaking about this. He's got a book called Slave. And he said this, he said, for the answer to this question, why don't they translate it slave? He says, you have to go back to the first English Bibles 
Back to the 16th century, back to Calvin and John Knox and other translators putting together the Geneva Bible, who made a decision not to translate, uh, they, they made a decision not to translate doulos as slave. The reason? There's too much stigma with the concept of being a slave. It's too strong a downside. It's too humiliating, too belittling. So they opted to cover the word by replacing it with servant, bondservant. They eliminated the word slave, except when the New Testament talks about an actual physical slave or an inanimate object, uh, like he says, slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. He said it's just too negative. They thought that it was negative in the 16th century, This is MacArthur still speaking. He says, slavery, for all intents and purposes, was abolished in the 14th century. What were they afraid of? And if they think there was some stigma in the 16th century with the concept of a slave, how about in the first century when the writers of the New Testament used the word? There were as many as 12 million slaves in the Mediterranean world. One out of every five people in the Roman Empire was a slave. And if you study the history of slavery, it was everything that any kind of human relationship could be. There were places in relationships in which it worked very well, and there were others in which it was a horrendous and abusive and demeaning. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit inspired the word doulos, doulos. And he says, since we don't see that word in our English Bible, we're missing a paradigm in which to understand our relationship to Christ. And that might be a little bit harsh on the reformers. Um, they weren't really afraid of offending anybody, so I'm not sure why they translated it that way. But regardless, a decision was made, and we thank God for the continued work of Bible translators to be as accurate as possible by constantly checking and rechecking the work of translation of the Word of God. But why would James call himself a doulos, a slave? He doesn't call himself a diakonos, a deacon, he calls himself, he doesn't call himself a servant, he calls himself a slave, a doulos. But, but James is actually in pretty good company, because his own brother, Jude, referred to himself in the same way in his epistle, in the letter, the epistle of Jude. Paul, Paul wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. He wrote most of the epistles of the New Testament. He called himself a, a doulos both in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and also in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. The apostle Peter, beginning his second letter, writes this. He says, Simon Peter, a doulos, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So are you following this? So far, James, Jude, Paul, and Peter all refer to themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. It goes on, though. Because in the beginning of the book of Revelation, John, in writing Revelation, says this, Revelation 1, verses 1 and 2 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his doulosses, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, his, his doulos, John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So the apostle John also calls himself a doulos, a slave of Jesus Christ. This is significant because this means that every leader in the early church identified himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Every leader in the early church. Early in the book of Acts, which was that time period that most of the letters were written, or shortly thereafter, the events in, as Acts unfolds, um, early on, we see the story focused mostly around Peter, 
a slave of Jesus Christ, as he calls himself. In the middle of Acts, we see James identified as as sort of the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem and as a slave of Jesus Christ. Later in the progression of Acts, as, as Paul the apostle takes the spotlight, he too is a slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus' other brother, Jude, was also a slave of Jesus Christ. And then in the book of Revelation, probably the last book written of the, of the Bible, not probably, it is the last book written of the Bible, John is a very old man, and he says that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. This image of being a, a doulos, a slave of Jesus Christ, is one of the most predominant images of Christianity, of being a Christian in the New Testament. You want to know what a Christian looks like? A Christian looks like a slave of Jesus Christ. In fact, it wasn't until Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that these followers of Jesus, at this point they called themselves um, followers of the way. Remember in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They called themselves followers of the way. You know the way to where I am going. They figured out what he was talking about by then and called themselves followers of the way. It wasn't until the gospel reached the Gentile city of Antioch, which is in Syria, that the disciples were first called Christians. But at first, it really was the outside world that called these believers, these followers of the way, uh, Christians, because they called themselves slaves. And it just so happens that this is the best way to describe a believer's relationship with Christ. Slave. Doulos. But slavery is detestable to us. We don't even... We hate slavery. And, And rightly so, right? Because when we think of slavery, we picture slavery... In human terms, we picture slavery from the past 500 years. We picture slavery that was a race-based slavery. Slavery that was rooted in kidnapping and, and the oppression of those who were weaker for the profit and benefit of those who were stronger and frankly had more money, right? That's what we think of when we think of slavery. And the Bible explicitly actually condemns that kind of slavery. Kidnapping was perishable by death under Old Testament law. Not to mention Jesus' proclamation that two of the greatest laws are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. But slavery was a reality even in New Testament times. There were about, as MacArthur said in his um, article that I found, there were about 12 million slaves living in the region around the Mediterranean. And to any Greek... To any Roman who was free, slavery looked detestable. And so while modern Americans look at slaves with pity and compassion, Greeks and Romans looked at them with disgust often. They despised slavery. They blamed the slaves for getting themselves into that situation, which was often the case. They would sell themselves into slavery to relieve debt sometimes. The highest, valor, uh, the highest virtue in the Greek and in the Roman world was freedom. In fact, many of our own founding fathers were highly influenced by the, the Greco-Roman uh, political and philosophical writings during that time of freedom. And slaves had no freedom. Slaves had no rights. They could not defend themselves in court. 
They couldn't go to court to seek justice. They're not given the right of citizenship. They couldn't serve in the military. They couldn't own property. In fact, they were owned. No worshiper of any Greek or Roman god called himself a slave of that god. The idea, this idea of slavery was detestable. And not only that, but God, the God that we are slaves to, the God that James calls himself here a slave to, died on a cross. Look at this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God who died on a cross. The God who went to Roman execution. James is saying, I'm a slave of that God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly or foolishness to the Greek. The cross of Jesus Christ is foolish, and we are slaves to the one who died on the cross. These New Testament writers, James here specifically, refer to himself, they refer to themselves using this detestable term, doulos, slave. And the message of Christianity, the message that all of these New Testament writers are trying to convey, the message that they are writing about, the good news that they are sharing, is a gospel of a, is the good news of a crucified Jew who wants to make you his slave, <laughs> who died to make you his slave. You couldn't come up with a more difficult message to communicate to people who honor freedom and despise slavery than that. And yet James eagerly refers to himself as a doulos, a slave of God, a slave of Jesus Christ. And we find ourselves in the same kind of environment. Um, To talk about slavery and to claim to be the slave of a crucified Messiah is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to convey to modern thinkers, really to thinkers throughout history. And so we soften the message sometimes. We hand out a kind of a feel-good gospel. We tell them, smile, God loves you, and then we leave them there. And I think that's because we're afraid of offending We're afraid of of not pleasing people. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, For am I, uh, Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a doulos of Christ, he says. If I were trying to please man, I wouldn't be a slave of Jesus Christ. Do you consider yourself a slave of Jesus Christ? Paul did, Peter did, John did. Here is James calling himself a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question then, as we think through even, and I would ask you to go ahead and read James this week. Read and meditate on his, it's only five chapters, read and meditate on this letter this week. But why would he begin this letter? A letter of encouragement to his church. In fact, if you read through in Acts, James probably is sort of become the senior pastor or the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And, and um, 
right around the time of Paul's persecution of Stephen, persecution increases in Jerusalem and the believers scatter. And so probably James is writing this letter to members of his church who have run for their lives, who have run around the Roman Empire, have gone to live with family and friends somewhere a little bit safer. And so he's writing this to them and he starts off even saying, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. They have met trials of various kinds. And so he's writing to encourage them. But he begins his letter by using this as his credentials. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A slave of God. Why would he not write, James, beloved brother of Jesus Christ? Why would he not start his letter by saying, James, senior pastor, First Christian Church, Jerusalem? Or maybe, James, chairman of the Jerusalem Council. Read Acts chapter 15. James had some clout. I think the reason that he starts this way, James, slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think he starts this way because he understood his standing before God and men. James understood his identity in Christ. When James became a believer, everything about him changed. He was no longer known by his family connection. In fact, he, he no longer claimed the title James, brother of Jesus, even though it was still true. The same goes for us. When you become or when you became a Christian, your identity is no longer in your family name. Even though it still is, right? My last name is Kidder. Around here, it doesn't mean anything. But in Barnstead, New Hampshire, everybody knows that name. My grandfather started a business in Barnstead, New Hampshire in 1958. It's still there. Kidder's Repair Service. Everybody knows that name, and I'm proud of that, but that's not my identity anymore. So let me give you my resume. This is maybe a little awkward, but I am the pastor of Logansville Community Church. People in this community know that I'm the pastor of this church and sometimes even sign my emails that way. In fact, I've got an automatic thing that comes up and just says that that's who it is. But that's not my identity. There was a time when I was vice president of Evangelical Youth Fellowship, which is a bunch of churches from Ohio and Michigan who got together to put on a big team, uh, team camp uh, at Kenyon College near Mount Vernon. And it sounds more impressive than it was. Um, in fact, I appointed myself vice president. I gave myself that title because I thought it sounded cool. But that's not my identity either, right? Yesterday, mostly because nobody else wants the job, I was voted uh, again to be the chairman of the board of directors for the New Path Pregnancy Resource Centers. It's a ministry and a position that I love. And I'm not telling you this to brag. Although in my flesh, I kind of enjoy saying it. I'm telling you this because we all have resumes that seem pretty impressive. Some of you have resumes, all of you, have a resume of some sort that just seems really impressive. You've done some really incredible things. You've got a, you've got a resume that just impresses people, that can make us feel good about ourselves, that can make us feel good about our accomplishments. Yet, I'm a doulos a slave of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, that's what you are. A slave of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
This is what James is saying because he understood really three things about his status as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these three things are the same for all Christians. So let me give you these right now. First, James understood the reason that he said that he was a doulos, a slave of God and of Jesus Christ. He understood that he was bought with a price. He was bought with a price. As a slave, he was bought with a price. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he simply reminds us, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Paul will essentially say the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is one of the key differences, really, between servants and slaves. See, servants, and I'm speaking here New Testament times, and even when we think of servants and slaves, they had a measure of self-autonomy. They had some sort of personal rights. They could make decisions, and they could end their servanthood when necessary. A servant is more like an employee, like a butler or a maid, right? Whereas a doulos, a slave, is considered property. In fact, in the, in the Greco-Roman culture, they, can, they were considered things and not people. They were purchased and owned, and so are we. We have been bought with a price. You are not your own, Paul says. You were bought with a price. The average slave in the American South in the year 1850 cost the equivalent of roughly $40,000 in today's money. That's just an average. You could buy another human being for less than the price of a new Chevy truck. Think about that. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. As slaves, Christians have been purchased not with money that can be destroyed, not with the perishable things such as silver and gold, Peter says, but with the very blood of Jesus Christ. We were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers, he says there. In other words, through the shed blood of Christ, we are redeemed from being enslaved to sin. Through the shed blood of Christ, we were purchased and therefore we are now God's property, owned by him. We are his. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that word there, redeemed, he redeemed us. That's the word for buying a slave's freedom. Paying the money to set a slave free from another master. That's what it means. Jesus' death his shed blood on the cross justifies those who believe in him by buying them from their slavery to sin. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Let me just turn there and I want to read these verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5, 6, and 7. First Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. 
Paul is saying, this is the message of Christianity. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Paul is talking about there. I love this John Piper. He said that God in eternity past looked upon me, foreseeing my fallenness, my pride, my sin, and said, I want that man in my family. I will do anything to have him in my family. I will pay to have him in my family with my son's life. He says, that's love, folks. That's mega, off-the-charts love. Because it's John Piper, he's doing this when he says it. Sorry. Jesus' little brother, James, understood this. He understood this. At some point, and we don't really know when, James, James doesn't have a dramatic conversion story like, like Paul does, right? He's not knocked to the ground and, and, and struck blind. But at some point, James saw his brother for who he really is, and he knew, he understood that Jesus bought him with the price of his own life. And James proudly wrote, I am a doulos, I am a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that James understood about his status as a slave is that since he was purchased with a price, he now belongs to God. He belongs to God for his own possession is the phrase that we should remember. For his own possession. Peter elaborates in his first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. First Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this. I, I want you to, to just listen to what Peter writes. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How beautiful are those verses written by Peter of all people. Listen, if if you are a Christian, those words are about you. If you're a Christian, those words are about you. They're about us. They're about the church. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we were slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to God. Now we are owned by God. We are a people for his own possession. And that phrase, a people for his own possession, that has roots way back in the early days of the people of Israel. 
Listen to what God tells Moses to tell the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. God says to tell the people this. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The idea of being a a people for his own possession is that we're not just simply things. God doesn't possess us in the same way that that we possess a vacuum cleaner or a lawnmower, right? Just something uh, designed or owned for a specific purpose to fulfill a certain function. We are his treasured possession. We are that which he sent his son in order to redeem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Does that change your view of slavery? To be owned by a God who paid for our lives with with his own life, with the life of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. That should change everything for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. It tells us that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And what are those good works? Peter says to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The ultimate good work, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's our role as slaves, to proclaim the excellencies of our God and Savior. Why? Because he first loved us. As a Christian, you are his treasured possession. Can you imagine the change that needed to take place in James' heart as he wrapped his mind around this? The idea that he was the treasured possession of his older brother? I don't have an older brother. I am an older brother. Brothers don't usually think like that. He had to change everything. That's why he doesn't identify himself as a brother of Christ. He knew who Jesus was. And so he identified himself as the doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us really to the third point, and we'll wrap up with this. James knew that Jesus is Lord. James knew that Jesus is Lord. He knew that he was bought with a price. He knew that he was now not his own, but he was a a person for God's own possession. And he knew that Jesus is Lord. This is an important distinction. In In the Old Testament, when you see God referred to as Lord, it's often all capital letters, right? We've been talking about this as we've studied Exodus in Sunday school. Um, It's actually God's name. The word is Yahweh. But they never spoke his name for fear of taking it in vain. And so the translators, when they were translating it even into English, used all caps, Lord, as a safety measure. In the New Testament, when you see the word Lord, it typically means master. This is what Jesus is, our master. Now, there are instances in the New Testament where the, where the New Testament writer is quoting the old, and it should be translated Yahweh because that's what it is in Hebrew. But generally speaking, when we see the word Lord, it means master. 
This is the language of the entire Bible. He is our Savior and Lord, and we are His treasured possession. We are bought with the price of Jesus' own shed blood. But I also want to point out that our salvation doesn't stop with being a doulos, a doulos of God. See, salvation means that God not only purchased us as his slaves, he has also adopted us into his family as children. He not only rescued us and purchased us, but he and took us as his own and made us his children. This is unheard of. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Dulos, a slave of God, has also been given the right to be called a, a child of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I just want to point out there, some translations will say children. It means sons. And the reason why it means sons is because in New Testament times, daughters didn't have any rights. They didn't have a right to stand up and be an individual, own property and all of that. So when it says sons of God, that we have been given the right to be called sons of God, although we're led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God, that means even what he's saying here very graciously is, is even our daughters are given the same rights as sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness as our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, that we may also be glorified with him. We've been given the rights as children of God, sons of God. By earthly standards, James knew Jesus probably better than most other people. He was one of his little brothers. Probably James knew Jesus better than anybody else. They grew up together. They probably played together as kids. They may have worked together with their father, Joseph. But James no longer clung to the notoriety of being Jesus' brother. Instead, he relished the privilege of being called a doulos, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I opened with a quote from a Bob Dylan song. So I think we should close with something a little different than that. It's a modern hymn written by Jordan Coughlin. And as a result of all of this, this should resonate in our hearts this morning. We're going to sing this, I think, in just a minute. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. 
All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Let's pray. And then let's sing those praise words to the one who purchased us with his own blood. Father, use our ransomed life. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have been bought with the price of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Use our ransomed life in any way you choose that our song would forever be my only boast is you. To the praise of your glorious grace, we pray these things. Amen.